0: Well, it's really good to be back with you. We are in week three of kind of journeying through uh, what we are calling this this collection of talks, um, Peace of Mind, Peace of Mind, and trying to just wade into the waters of how do we get peace of mind? How do we have minds filled with peace? And obviously that means um, somewhat tackling mental health and how that plays a role in this, and so I'm excited to get into another component of that tonight. We um, talked last week specifically about how G, Je- or no, it was a few weeks ago. Jesus came to bring life and life to the full. Do you remember us talking about that? He came to bring life and life to the full, and we talked about you know you, <laughs> that's a great thing, and you hear that, and that's exciting, and it's awesome. But it's important that you define. What is the full life that he is bringing? Because if you just think, well, that means, you know, he's come to bring me happiness, well, I think you're going to get disappointed. And so what is the full life? And the full life, we talked about how it involves a life that's filled with purpose and peace. Purpose and peace. And that, isn't, or that doesn't mean that it's free of all challenges and struggle, but it's that in the midst of all that life brings you, including challenges and struggle, that you can have purpose And you can have peace. And not just that, but that Jesus also lays out the way that we can access that life and life to the full. Because that's important. Because he has come to bring it, but how do we get it? And part of it is we get that life to the full when we accept his free gift of salvation. Because it solidifies our eternity that we're going to be with him one day. He's forgiven us of our sins. And so praise be to God for that. But it also means that in order to have access to the life and life to the full, it means following him. It means not just receiving his gift of salvation, but following after him and his teachings. In other words, Jesus came and he said, I'm bringing life and life to the full. And this is how you will get it if you follow me and follow my teachings, which is quite humbling to think that perhaps the reason that I don't have life to the full is because I'm not following his way. And that requires some courage to say that and some really some humility to be able to say, yeah, that maybe that's why I'm not experiencing purpose and peace is because I'm not, not actually following what he has taught in his word. You know, upon receiving the gift of salvation, he gives you a new heart. And it has come alive because of his spirit and, you know, now you have the ability to follow his teachings because of his spirit's activity in his life within you. So you're not just subscribing to a religion when you say, I'm going to be a Christian. You're You're not just like checking the box of, yeah, that's how I identify myself. No, you're not just going to church on a Wednesday or on a Sunday, but you have actually committed to follow his teachings to follow what he said is the way to life and life to the full. You know it's really interesting because thousands of years ago Jesus followers were followers of the way. And they were followers of the way and it was actually incredibly countercultural way of life. It was it was truly a radical way of living. The early followers of Jesus were introducing a whole different way of living that was was completely different from what the culture around them was saying of how you should live. They didn't leverage power. Jesus came and he taught that the first would be last and the last would be first. So they said, all right, I guess this is how we lead is that we serve each other. That life isn't found in trying to grasp for the highest position, but whether how can I serve somebody? Jesus' followers respected women. That was radically different. I love uh, Dr. Tim Keller. He says that the early Christians stood out in a few ways as followers of Jesus as they were radically different than the culture. And some of those few ways were this. They had a high view of sexuality. They said sexuality is a good thing. And it is so special, and and sexual intimacy is so special that it can only be experienced within the commitment of a lifelong marriage. So they had a high view of sexuality. They took care of the poor. They took care of the orphans, the widow. Acts 2 describes a community where they shared with one another and they gave to meet the needs of each other. They were a multiracial, multi ethnic community in a time where there was division amongst people who were different. Christians stood up and said, No, 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 that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is that we are all made in the image of God and therefore have inherent value. And then lastly, they valued children and the unborn. Those were the four primary ways that, G- that Christian Jesus followers stood out. And the last one is that they valued children and the unborn. It's actually written in historical, historical documents that Christians would plunge the landfills, kind of the, the dumpsters of that day, and find babies that had been thrown out because they were not wanted, and they would take them into their homes. That's what Christians were known for, for taking the orphans into their homes. And so Christians lived a radical, countercultural life. And so it's quite unfortunate nowadays that, you know, we have dumbed down being a Christian to a box that you check when you get asked about your religion rather than an actual way of life that you commit to. And Jesus established his way of life and he called his disciples to follow his way of life. Now, I think it begs you to ask the question, am I a follower? Are you a follower of Jesus? I've heard some people talk about the difference between being a fan of Jesus or being a follower of Jesus. A lot of people may like his teachings or like even his people. But the question is, do you follow him? Like like follow his teachings? Follow the way that he is written in this book that will give you life and life to the full. And the reality is is that when we go against the way of Jesus, either intentionally or sometimes even unintentionally, we call that sin. Are you familiar with this word? Somebody? You're familiar with sin, right? Sorry, just looking for a little participation. I figured the answer was yes. Now, I'm not sure how you grew up thinking about sin. Maybe you thought of it as just kind of the the stuff that God tells you not to do. And so just stay away from it with everything you have. Well, that's kind of the story, but I think there's more to it. And I want to reshape just for a moment possibly your view of sin to take it from just the, the random kind of bad stuff that we participate in that go against God to actually the ways that we miss God's invitation for life the ways that we miss God's invitation for life. And it really, it goes all the way back to the beginning. If you're familiar with the, the Garden of Eden story, you've got Adam and Eve who, who bite the apple. And really what they were doing is believing that they could be their own God, that they could say what they wanted, that, yeah, God said this, but yeah, yeah, no, that's not true. Let's do our own thing. It was the very beginning of rebellion against God and taking up This kind of self-righteous, I can do what I want and I'll be okay. And thus, because of them, we all got sin. Now there are really two components to salvation that we receive in Jesus. And I want to talk about these two components. One is the forgiveness of our sins so that we are not responsible for the payment of those sins, which is death. You read the book of Romans, and it talks a lot about this. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So the gift of God rescues us from the payment of those sins and brings us to eternal life. But salvation also not just brings forgiveness of sin, but it brings freedom from the bondage of sin. Because sin will wrap you up, and it will squeeze the very life out of you so that you are not capable of receiving life and life to the full. I love what Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says. It says, Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. There's our word, peace. The mindset of our flesh, meaning our kind of, desire to do what we want, to just follow our appetites, to follow what feels right to us. The mindset of our flesh leads to death, but the mindset of the spirit, meaning the spirit of God, following his leading in our life and what he has declared to be true in his teachings, the mindset of the spirit brings life and peace. And this is why there's really no such thing As a gospel that forgives you but doesn't call you to a life that seeks to follow his teachings. There's really no such thing. And that's not because God is like some dictator who's just an angry person all the time because you don't do what he says, but he's actually a loving heavenly father who desires for his children to have life to the full. And his teachings reveal where we can find it and how we get access to it. So, yeah, can you leave here tonight and go sin and be forgiven in Jesus? Yeah. Yes, you can. And praise, praise God that he doesn't cancel you because of your sin. But the question is, will you receive life? and life to the full if you continue to live in your sin? And the answer is no. So while you may be forgiven because you have received salvation, sin will wrap you up and it will choke the life out of you so that you do not receive life and life to the full. So in a way, sin is God's way of of saying to us, like, no, 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 no. Don't go down that route. That that doesn't lead you to life. That only leads you to death. Don't go down that route. I mean, isn't that, I mean, we have to reframe how we think about God and think about what he has declared as sin, as not like he's some dictator up there just being angry at us, but rather he's a loving God who invites us into life. And he's going, no, 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 don't go go do that. That's not going to lead you to life. That leads to death. Death, because sin will entangle you and it will squeeze the life out of you. And so what is the result of sin in your life? Well, you don't receive the fullness of God. You don't receive the fullness of God. The other day I was kind of watering my grass. Actually, wasn't watering, and I was kind of spraying some, like, fertilizer stuff on it, but I was using my garden hose, and I'm on one side of my yard spraying through my hose, and all of a sudden it stops spraying out. Can you guys guess what the problem is? This is a pretty obvious example, isn't it? I walked back uh, closer to where the hose was connected, and I realized that there was a kink, in the hose. And so the kink was preventing the water from flowing through the hose. See a lot of times what we get into with sin is it kinks up our life. And it's not that God doesn't love you, it's not that it is not his love isn't extended to you. It absolutely is. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God if you are in Christ Jesus. You didn't do anything to deserve it, you didn't do anything to earn it and you can't do anything to lose it. But Hear me closely. Sin often withholds God's activity from you. Sin doesn't withhold God's love from you, but it often withholds God's activity from you. It's like a kink in the hose where his activity and his power cannot flow freely in your life. It's like God is not freed up to move in power inside of you. And that's not good because we miss out. When he is not freed up to move in power, we miss out on life and life to the full. And when he is active in you and he is freed up to move in different ways in your life, hear me closely, he creates wholeness inside of you. And you begin to find a holistic kind of health. And things begin to break in your life because his activity can flow through you. And we are often disconnected from the wholeness that Jesus wants to bring us. It's kind of like this. I think about, you know, what what sin does to us is, is it causes incongruence. And some of you have felt this before because you know what it's like to believe truth in your mind of I know this is what God's asking me to do. I know what he wants. I know what the Bible says. And yet my actions are not living that out. I kind of wrote it. I think, Tyler, do you have it on the screen? I want to talk about incongruence. Yeah, I said it like this. That incongruence between your head and your actions lead to internal tension. And some of you have felt this before in your heart, like an internal tension, because I know what is true, I know what I want to do, I know how I want to follow God, I know what he has called me to, and yet I can't live that out. And that begins to create tension in your body, literally. And internal tension will eventually lead you to sickness and brokenness. Now, I don't know how this kind of intersects your theology framework, but I really, really truly believe this, that that tension that a lot of times we live with ultimately can get manifested in sickness. And sometimes that sickness plays out in like relational sickness, that then it starts to spew out all over your relationships. Sometimes it's in the form of emotional pain. Sometimes it's just being uh, like mentally unwell. Sometimes it's in the form of physical sickness because I've got this internal tension between what I believe to be true and right and what it means to follow Jesus and yet how my actions are playing out. And so tonight what I want to do is just tackle maybe some of the reasons why there's that incongruence. And I just want to bring up tonight two sins. Now, it's kind of a weird way to go about a message, I'll be honest with you, is to talk about like particular sins. And I, I, I don't want to be the guy who's just like an angry preacher up here who's like, you know, don't do this and don't do that. I really fight to not be that. And hopefully if you've been around here for a long time, you know, I, I try to speak with as much sensitivity and compassion as I can for the human journey and what that is like. We say around here that faith is a journey. And so I really believe that. And yet, and yet, I got to be honest, I think sometimes it's important for us to come face to face with how we are rebelling against God and what that rebellion will eventually lead us to. And so the reason I need to do this is because it is possible for you to be suffering with the consequences of incongruence and yet, and this is, this is a shame, but it happens. It happens with me too. And yet, we are blaming God. We're blaming God for some of the internal tension or for some of the sickness and brokenness that we experience in life. And I think sometimes he's going, wait, 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 wait. Like, I told you the path to life and life to the full. And you're the one who's not following it. Like, you're ignoring what I've told you. And the way that you're living is not the way of Jesus. And so sometimes I think we just need a loving reminder of the sins that so easily entangle us. And I just want to tackle two of those tonight. But I want to give a quick caveat because we've been talking about mental illness. And so I just want to make this really clear. I am not saying tonight... That if you struggle with mental illness or if you fight for mental health or if if you battle some of these things that we have talked about, I'm not saying that these two things are the reason that exists in your life, okay? There are multiple factors for why you may be fighting that battle, multiple factors that may play. I just think this is one that you should give some attention to. Because oftentimes the reason that we have that tension and ultimately sometimes some things get off internally is because there's an incongruence between what I believe to be true up here but yet how I'm acting. And so it may not be the thing, but it is oftentimes one of the things. And so I think it's worth addressing. So number one, I'm going to go here. If you're ready, say preach it, Austin. (laughs) That was a weird thing to say. I'll never say that again. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Number one is I just picked two that I think are really, really um, prevalent. And we could talk about a lot of other things. We could talk about greed, pride, worry, laziness. We could talk about a lot. But I just want to talk first about sexual immorality. Okay. Now, I (laughs) I realize this is a touchy subject. And just saying those two words makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Either because it's just a kind of a weird topic. Or maybe you possibly have felt a lot of shame in the church around your decisions sexually. And so I just want you to hear tonight as I kind of get into this that that you're in a good place. Okay. You're in a good place because we serve a God who is a kind, loving generous, gracious God. And we are his people who understand the human journey. Faith is a journey, and he is gracious and kind to lead us to life and life to the full. You're in a good place, but we have to at least talk about the things that are clearly identified as sin in the scripture. And yet we oftentimes get entangled into it. I was talking recently with a few guys um, here in our group, and we were talking about how this particular topic carries with it so much shame. And the shame of this topic often leads to so much secrecy around this. And so many of us are afraid to raise our hand and say, hey, I'm really struggling with sexual sin. Whatever that looks like, my thought life, my relationships, I'm struggling with hookup culture, I'm struggling with pornography, whatever it is, a lot of us feel like we can't bring that to the surface. And yet there seems to be so much freedom when one believer, when one Christian just says, hey, me, I'm struggling. And so I just want to start by saying that, I just want to encourage you, like, oh man, I was telling them that, that when we gather around our strengths, It breeds competition and comparison. But when we gather around our honest weaknesses, it breeds community and compassion. And so I don't know about you, but I would love for us to be a community that says it's okay for us to bring things to the surface. It's okay for us to lift our hand and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Can someone just pray for me? Can someone just listen to me? Can someone just encourage me? Can someone tell me that God doesn't hate me? But I'm really, really struggling. And what's interesting about sexual sin is that it can be tempting for us to think that, you know, the the hypersexual culture that we live in is a new thing, but it's not. It's absolutely not. Paul, who wrote like a ton of the Bible, addresses it in one of his letters to the church in a city called Corinth and he addresses these believers because there was a problem in Corinth of believers having sex with temple prostitutes. And so Paul writes to them and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18. I want to read it to us tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18. Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. Someone say flee Come on, say it again. Someone say flee. Flee. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Now notice here that Paul says flee. He doesn't say, like, give it some thought or, you know, you can do a little bit but just don't do a lot of it, whatever that means to you. He doesn't say, like, maybe just think about, you know, not so much. He says, run from it. Flee from sexual immorality. We were created to be temples for the living God. And immorality defaces that temple, pushing his presence and therefore his activity out. And that word for sexuality is the word porneia. Can you say porneia? I said, can you say porneia? I don't know why I'm feeling aggressive tonight. And that word, you can imagine, you know, that is where we get our English word for pornography, right? I was reading some statistics. 43% of all Internet users regularly view pornographic material. The average age of first exposure is 11 years old. Christian men who have viewed porn in the last week is around 53%. And I could read more and more statistics about porn that would blow your mind away. Or maybe not, because maybe you already know them. And you probably do. But here's the reality is that it is ripping lives apart. You want to talk about a kink in your life that is keeping the activity of God from flowing through you? Is sexual immorality. So hear me closely. You can have pornia. And you can have peace, but you cannot have both. And with all the compassion and love for you that I can muster up, I just want to say to you, maybe the reason why you don't have peace of mind is because of sexual immorality. And you owe it to yourself. I mean, God has clearly laid out in his word and said, Sexual intimacy is reserved for marriage. So anything outside of that is sin. And so perhaps what is getting kind of messed up in you where there is incongruence and it is causing internal tension and it is manifesting itself into brokenness and even some sickness, perhaps it's because there's sexual immorality. You owe it to yourself to pay attention to it. And it breaks my heart because sometimes in this conversation, I'm so broken for the people who are walking through like this real, real heaviness. And I just want to say, yeah, but, but look at your life. Like you are far, far from how God has created you. You're far from how God has like written in his word of what will bring you life and life to the full. So if you want peace of mind, flee from sexual immorality. And trust me, I know the crowd that I'm talking to. And yet his word is true. And you owe it to yourself to ask, am I truly following his way and his teachings? Second thing, last thing. Not only sexual immorality, but I just want to highlight here the sin of bitterness. A few years ago, I took a um, group of college students, much like you, a group to Guatemala. We were on a mission trip, and we are going to Guatemala. And while we were there, uh, we interacted with another church group that was there. And they were kind of a different denomination than us, and they just kind of did things differently, but I was excited to get to know them. But in their group, they had a lady who uh, had the gift, a very unique spiritual gift, but had the gift of healing. Now, I don't know, you know, that's a a loaded word, and I don't know how you show up to that and what you believe about, you know, the, the spiritual gift of healing and how that gets Uh, practiced in church and all that kind of stuff. But for me, I'm a little bit skeptical around charismatic stuff like that. It's not that I don't believe it's true. I just get a little bit skeptical and it has more to do with just a a lot of the um, emotion and things that are involved in that. So that's a, a whole other talk that maybe I'll give one day around that. But I can honestly tell you, I witnessed some things with my very own eyes that I had never seen before. We had in our group... A, um, a young girl who was facing some real, uh, like, stomach issues. And I don't mean, like, you know, she ate something bad that day or something like that. I mean, she was having some real issues, like, before the trip with GI stuff. And she was going to doctors. They couldn't figure it out, all these kinds of things. So this lady kind of got involved with it. And I'll never forget the day that she uh, offered to pray for her. And we're like, yeah, sure. And so she lays this girl flat on her back. And then begins to lay hands on her, just like you just laid hands on someone's shoulder, but just <laughs> a little bit more intimate. Um, begins to lay hands, like, in her stomach area. So it was odd. I'm telling you, it was a little odd. But then as she began to pray over this girl, she asked her the most random question in my mind. Like, here she is, God, we believe you, you are who you say you are, and, and we're asking you to do powerful things. And she stops mid-prayer, and she asks the girl, she says, do you? do you have any unforgiveness towards someone in your life? Like, are are you withholding forgiveness? Do you have bitterness in your heart towards somebody? And the girl began to sob, weep, like uncontrollably. And she began to tell the story of how she did. And it was a thing in her past that created some trauma in her life. And so this lady began to lead her through a prayer of releasing some of that bitterness to her or to the Lord. And I, I kid you not, I saw right there in that moment, this girl received some healing in her body as something left her body and the literal physical sickness began to go away in her. Now you can question me all you want to. That's fine. I, I would too if probably if I was you, but I'm telling you that's true. The next day we had a guy in our group who was having some pretty severe back issues. He was a young college guy, and yet what he was going through in his lower back was pretty wild. And she asked if she could pray for him. And at this point, we're like, yeah, I mean, you can do whatever you want. You can pray for me. You can pray for whoever. I don't care. You can pray for the cows. I don't, whatever you want to do. And, um, and so this guy's like, yeah, please pray. And so she uh, lays the guy down on his stomach and begins to put her hands on his back and began to pray. And the same exact thing happened. She gets to a point and she says, do you have any unforgiveness towards someone in your life? And the guy said, I really can't think of any. And she said, okay. And she just kept praying and we moved right along. And that was that. And I don't think he—he nothing really happened that day for him physically. But the point was this. I went up to her later that day and I said, you have got to tell me why you asked that question. And she told me that bitterness and unforgiveness in someone's life is, is like a stronghold that the enemy gets a hold of inside of your heart, and it is, it is like a portal for him to get access, and it can be a kink in that hose, kind of. I mean, it, it is like a, a doormat, Really? For darkness to enter into your heart. And I know I'm using a lot of like maybe mystical spiritual language than I normally do, but I'm telling you, it's true. In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus lays out the Lord's Prayer, he includes in that, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And then you skip a verse and it says after that, for if you, this is Jesus talking. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive you. Now, there's a lot kind of loaded into that. It's not as simple as just that right there. But here is essentially what that is saying. That unforgiveness is a refusal to accept the full gospel of Jesus into your heart when you withhold forgiveness for somebody else, it must be that you have not received the full gospel of Jesus into your heart. Because if he has fully forgiven you, which he has, if if you're his child, you are his son, his daughter, you have received salvation by grace through faith and received his forgiveness for your sins. If he has fully forgiven you, then number one, he can fully forgive anybody else, including the murderer, the adulterer, the betrayer, and whatever other er you want to add on to that. He can do it. And then number two, he expects you to do the same. Jesus is hanging on a cross naked, beaten. I mean, brutally tortured, spat on, and he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they have done. Forgive them? And he asks you to do the same. Now, as hard as that is, I have tried my best to find a loophole in that, but there is not one. I have tried my best to find a, yeah, but, you know, this person, or the, yeah, but, you know, I mean, if they do this, and I want you to hear me, it is, it is hard, but there is no loophole. The result of unforgiveness, the results are infectious. It's not stagnant. It doesn't just sit in one place. It spreads. And it leads to bitterness, which leads to anger, which leads to hurt, which leads to shame, and a lot of other things that many of you could probably talk about yourself. Unforgiveness is an infectious weed, and it grows up and begins to choke out the life in you. And it is a, please hear me closely, it is a process. Sometimes it cannot come in a moment, but it is a process especially for those who are dealing with the repercussions of someone else's actions. And for some of you, the sin that is causing illness, that is causing sickness, that is causing kind of a breakup in your internal makeup, for some of you, it is not your sin. For some of you, it is what somebody else has done to you. And I just want to tell you, the world is full of evil. It is a good world, but it has been taking over. It has been taken over by a hostile invader, and his name is Satan. And he is wreaking havoc in this world, and there are people who partner with him to do it. And thus we experience a lot of brokenness and a lot of evil. And so for the young lady in here who's enduring the pain of being raped, And you can't get the images out of your head of what that guy did to you. For others in here who have walked through abuse, who have walked through betrayal, who have walked through neglect, who have walked through slander and someone talking bad about you. I cannot imagine the pain that you are in. And it's like, of course, of course mental illness is a factor if you've walked through some of that. I can't imagine what that does to throw off some things inside of your brain, inside of your heart, inside of your internal makeup. But I want you to hear me. I want you to know this. Jesus promises to forgive. And he promises not just to forgive, but he promises to punish sin. All sin. All sin. For the repentant, the punished, was endured on the cross. For the repentant, sin was punished on the cross. For the unrepentant, sin will be punished when Jesus returns and He judges all of humanity. But hear me closely. Either way, justice will be done. And although this world is full of pain and brokenness, Jesus says exactly what we said earlier, to take heart, that I have overcome the world. That there is nobody in the grave. And Jesus can bring life to the darkest, most brutal places of your heart. And I want to just invite you to take one more step. Just one step toward forgiveness. I can't imagine what you're going through. But I just want to invite you to take one more step toward forgiveness. And not not for their sake. Not for the person who has wronged you. But for your sake if you are holding bitterness towards someone, it is wreaking havoc in your mind, in your heart, and your body. And I just want to invite you to take one more step. You don't have to be okay with what they've done. You don't have to restore a relationship with them. But if you will begin to release your need for justice and trust that one day justice will happen, it's coming. Jesus promises that he will forgive And he will judge all sin. And so you can trust that situation into the hands of a God who knows justice way more than you. And you can take one step toward healing. I heard someone say this. Forgiveness is setting someone free. And then realizing that that someone is you. It's worth it. Take one step toward forgiveness. Don't let unforgiveness, the sin of unforgiveness, the sin of bitterness in your heart towards somebody, don't let that be a kink in that hose, keeping you from experiencing all of the activity and all that God wants to do in your life. Don't let that be the thing that causes incongruence in your mind, in your body that turns into this this internal tension that turns into brokenness and sin. Bring it before God and say, God, I need your help with forgiveness. And release it. Release it to him. Release the right to be bitter. Release the right to get even. Release the right to hear the words, I'm sorry. And so I just want to invite You tonight. I I just felt like, you know, we talk about especially these two sins. I just want to invite you to step into repentance. I don't, I don't know what your familiarity with that word is, repentance, but sometimes it, it gets this like bad rap as you know, repentance is this like dark, sorrowful thing. And it can be sorrowful because it can be heavy, but I'm telling you, repentance in a biblical way is actually life-giving. It's actually a way for you to receive the life of God back into your bones, back into the deepest parts of you. Repentance in, in the Hebrew scriptures means to return home. I love that, to return home. In the New Testament, in the original language in Greek, it means to change your thinking. And so for some of you to repent tonight means to return home to how God has created you and the way that he has designed life and life to the full, where you can have access to it. Return home to him. You've been living in sin. You know it. You've been living deep in it. And be honest. Come on, be honest. It's not leading you to life. And so return home to Jesus tonight and say, Lord, I I need your life. I repent of the sin in my heart, repent of the sin in my life. God, I want to return home to you. And I want to change the way that I'm thinking. Change the way that I'm thinking about what will bring me life and life to the full. There are hundreds of college students in here who would testify. Who who I could get up here to raise them. They could come up here and say, yes. I live for those things, and I'm telling you, they don't bring you life. They bring you death. And yet Jesus will rescue you from that, and he will bring life and life to the full. But repent. Come home and change your way of thinking. And so I want to invite you to that. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes, we're all done here. But I just want to kind of open up a time for, for you to participate in that. This is this is serious stuff. Like I said there's many many factors that go into why we can sometimes feel like we're not experiencing the peace of God in our minds. There's there's many things. But for some of you even those two things that I brought up you can say, yeah. Like maybe the reason why I don't have peace is because I I'm not following the way of Jesus. I'm I'm, I'm following like sin. I'm living in, in sin. I'm not living in the way of Jesus. Then tonight, come home. Come home to him. Invite the forgiveness of Jesus to wash over you. He's a loving, loving God. He's standing with arms wide open. He's not mad at you just inviting you to life and life to the full. He's saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Come home to me and change your way of thinking. Repent and begin to adopt my vision for life and life to the full. And so I just want to give you a minute to pray right there at your seat. just What is God doing in your heart How's he leading you? God, would you make us a people who willingly bring our shortcomings, our failures, our struggles, our sin. We bring it before you. We're not afraid of you. Yeah, yeah. Some of you in here, you're afraid of God. You're fearful of him. I just want you to know that's not who he is. That's not who he is. He's lovingly inviting you to life. Come to him. I want to invite all of us to stand to our feet. And Rachel is going to lead us in a worship song. But I just want to kind of leave some space here. If you want to come down front, kind of treat this front area as an altar. Maybe you bring before your sin. You bring before these things that are maybe causing this incongruence in your mind. But you bring it before him. You lay it before him. And let's do business with God tonight. Let's not walk out of here with something left to do. Let's not walk out of here with prayers that we didn't pray. Let's not walk out of here with stuff undone that we didn't address.